The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Wow, this is great. I absolutely love this new public outdoor rink at Kawartha Lakes. One of many. Really makes you forget about this past year. You around a corner, do a couple of leg crosses, and oh, what the heck, I'm just gonna ditch my hockey stick and let me just try a, a sow cow, a triple sow cow, a lutz, and now the grand finale, an axle. Perfect. Well, almost. Denis, time to come into the house and have some supper. Pea soup and egg sandwiches as well. Your favorite. Aw, oh, Nance, just 15 more minutes. And are you channeling my mother circa 1976? Uh, maybe? I mean, this is your outdoor ring daydream thing. I, I mean, it must be. You're not skating on your ankles. Oh, uh, all right. Well, well, let me just finish this shinny game with my friends. First team to 100 wins the championship of the world. Just be sure to pull your tooth below your ears. Il fait froid. Ah, uh, okay. I gotta go host a podcast anyway. Oh, and, uh... If uh, you people are wondering where this outdoor rink in Kawartha Lakes really is, it's in our future. We are not completely dreaming there. Outdoor public rinks could be, might be, in our future in Kawartha Lakes. Go to lindsayadvocate.ca to read Kirk Winter's great piece on that proposal. But stay here to listen to some great stories. I found a couple of local geocachers to explain what the appeal of this GPS treasure hunt phenomenon is all about. I found them. Uh, get it? I, I definitely, okay. We head to Yellowknife via our computer for our music feature, which has a local connection. Part one was great, part two even better, I would argue. Lawyer Jason Ward is back to further explain some of the human elements and how they shape legal decisions of wrongful dismissal cases. The library's Lindsay Bowen returns with a new word to add to our lexicon in these times. Yes, you can pause here to look up the word lexicon. I, I did. My name is Denny Greenow, and this is episode 27 of the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. If you receive a phone call starting today or any day until the end of the month, and I mean an actual phone call, not a text, and you don't recognize the number, you know what? Pick up anyway. It might be your chance to participate in a survey that could help shape the future of policing in our area or as the Kawartha Lakes Police Service describes it, improve the services it delivers to its community. I should also point out that the survey conducted by the firm Form Research is anonymous. Now, you don't have to wait to be called. You can also complete the survey on the KLPS website. KLPS Chief Mark Mitchell and Sergeant Deb Haggerty join me on the line. Chief, uh, I'd like to start with you. I have a lot of questions here, including why the need for the survey. But first, and I got to admit, when I learned you were soliciting people on the phone, I thought, do people even answer those anymore? Why not just go with a strictly online survey? As part of our uh, partnership with Forum Research and, and to make the results uh, scientifically valid, there needs to be a random uh, component. And so th that that is the business that they are in and uh, they have contact lists uh, that are geographical and they are quite confident uh, that they'll be able to get the uh, the number of random 
uh, correspondence in, in our policing area to do the survey. And uh, the pool that they're targeting is 500, 500 random telephone respondents. The last time that we did this survey was 2013. And uh, I think it's critically important for the community uh, to have a say in you know, the future of, of police services. There's a lot changing, our community's growing. You know, there's been a lot uh, of public discourse about uh, the role of police in things like mental health and in schools. And as we look to shape the future of our police service, uh, I think it's you know crucially important that everybody have an opportunity to have some input into that. A lot of the people we are gonna reach are through social media and uh, just the changing in society and the type of issues we might uh, find in, as a result of our survey, uh, the different types of crimes that are happening, whether they're cyber crimes, which we might not have heard about in 2013 that we'll definitely probably hear about now. You know, a lot has changed in the last seven years and, and the effects of technology on uh, certain uh, types of crime uh, have changed dramatically. So it, it cannot be uh, a complete apples to apples comparison. And we do have to look at, at some of those new areas. The social determinants of crime uh, has become much more front and center in terms of, uh, you know, a whole of government response to some of these community uh, problems and the police playing more of a role than just than uh, an enforcement one. Okay, well, I, often, I often labor over the questions I'm going to ask in an interview right down to the exact verb or, or the noun, and then I'll end up changing their order, cognizant of how long, you know, I have with the person I'm speaking with. So tell me about what went into shaping your questions, especially as they pertain to today and how people perceive police departments. Yeah, and again, you know, we, we relied pretty heavily on uh, on forum research because this is uh, the business that they're in. Um, and you want to make sure that the results are going to be relevant in steering our focus uh, as we look to the future. But we also wanted to make sure that everyone that wanted to participate has a forum to do that. So in addition to the random survey, uh, anybody that wants to uh, submit their thoughts and ideas can access the online portion. Uh, and those results will be tabulated separately from the, from the random telephone survey. People will be asked, uh, you know, what their primary concerns are, uh, what, what specific areas of uh, interest or where they would like to see police services focused. Uh, they'll be asked about some of the issues that we talked about, uh, the role of police in mental health, uh, the role of police uh, in schools, and, uh, and, and those, those sorts of areas. Okay, hopefully I'll frame this next question properly because I did take some time to, to, to map it out. Kawartha Lakes, as you know, is a, it's largely a homogenous area. We don't have the cultural diversity of even Oshawa. And some would say our police service reflects that. Uh, but there seems to be that will from that homogenous base for this to evolve. Uh, I'm thinking of the crowds that gathered this summer for the Black Lives Matter rally this past summer, of which you played a major role in uh, Chief Mitchell. So with that, what, what went into the questions to reflect and maybe address this? So great question. So um, another part of the, the, this whole process uh, that we did, that we just concluded, was uh, focused uh, sessions with some stakeholder groups um, to help steer 
the development of the public survey. And so the, you know, the, our community makeup, uh, you know, the, the importance of uh, being inviting uh, to, uh, you know, everybody, regardless of uh, ethnic, uh, religious, uh, cultural background, uh, you know, is a central theme. You'll see that reflected in the survey as well. You're quite right. Uh, you know, we are a, a very homogenous community right now, but it is changing. Uh, and that change, that pace of change is going to continue to grow. And so I think it's very important, uh, you know, as we look to grow and evolve as a police service, uh, that we make sure that, you know, being, being a welcoming community and being a police service that is welcoming and treats everybody fairly and impartially uh, is a central uh, part of that, that ongoing effort. When all the results are in, when you're when you're looking at these, whether it's on your computer screen or, or it's all spread out on pages on a table, and you're pouring over it, what will you see that will have you proclaim, okay, this was a success? Well, I think uh, you know I look back at, at the process in 2013, uh, you know a number of the findings and a, and a number of things that we did, some some little, some larger, in terms of. Uh, you know, responding to those uh, those areas of concern or, or areas of interest that were identified. And so I think we'll, uh, you know, we'll do largely the same here. We will uh, enter into a new strategic planning uh, cycle in the fall. And I think uh, this process will be a, uh, a great roadmap uh, to, to steer that process as we go through that, that strategic plan. You know, we've we've taken a look inside the organization. Now we're asking the community uh, to provide their input. And when we put those two things together, I think we'll have all of the information and the tools we need to set a really good direction for the future of the service. When somebody calls my phone uh, and I answer and they're doing a survey at the best of times, people are often a little apprehensive. They want to know how anonymous it's really going to be. Uh, and let's be honest, when it's a police service where we always get, no matter how innocent we are, we always get our backs up a little bit. So I see you're smiling already, uh, Sergeant. What can you do to assuage those, that trepidation? And yes, I did carefully choose that word in my question. I was saying, we'll, we will be advertising that, that it is anonymous. And I think the questions themselves are pretty generic that they're not going to specify or put anybody in a position that they are going to make themselves uncomfortable or make themselves uh, feel guilty or maybe guilty is not the right choice of words, but I think the questions in general are broad enough that um, everybody should feel comfortable answering them and people are going to know that we want to know what they think of us and, and we want to hear what they have to say. My name is Riley Ray from Wards Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate podcast, Stories from Kortha Lakes. We love hearing from you, your story ideas, your questions, your observations slash critiques. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And hey, if you really want to increase your word power when contacting us with any of the aforementioned, we can help with a regular feature we call Well-Defined. Well Defined. Well-defined. What does that mean, anyway? Well-defined. Lindsay Bowen is with Kawartha Lakes Public Library. 
Uh, Lindsay, I know you have a new word for us in the hopper ready to be tossed out. But before we get to that, it's always nice to hear what's happening at the library, which uh, we know includes so much more than just borrowing books. So right now we've actually got a new story walk coming very soon to the trail around Bob Cage and Settlers Village. Um, so we had a story walk. Uh, we still have one at Ken Reed Park. Um, so yeah, new one in Bob Cajun. So the book is called Sugar Snow, and it's uh, a, my little, my sorry, my first little house books by, of course, Laura A. Wilder. Um, and it's a very appropriate book for this time of year as we begin to enjoy this warmer weather and the uh, sap begins to flow. Well, I've taken in the story book trail at Ken Reed. So uh, uh, I'm looking forward to the one in Bob Cajun. Do you move them around a little bit? Like after a couple of weeks, will you will you change the story around? Hopefully spring is coming very soon. Um, so the uh, the mitten by Jack Ezra Keats from Ken Reed, that's been retired for the year, but we'll, we'll hope to bring it out again next year and maybe at some new locations. It was such a, a warm feeling for my wife and I to uh, to read that story because we used to uh, read it, the mitten to our sons some, uh, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. So it's, uh, it's not just for the kids, it's for the adults who remember reading it to their kids too. I actually had a dog uh, go through the trail and uh, the dog was really enjoying the book too. So, hey, it's for everybody. You mentioned oh, nice weather is slowly uh, greeting us. I can, you know, see the the snow in our own fields is is melting right now. So I, I'm, I'm hoping, maybe even expecting a little bit that our well-defined entry has something to do with that hope, the weather, things improving possibly? Oh, it does. And Denis, I know you love guessing what a word means before I give the explanation. So okay. why don't you start us off trying to guess what ameliorate means okay you know what being a franco-ontarian having grown up in uh in, in a french uh canadian household in ontario i think i can guess what this one is ameliorate uh is from the uh, french word améliorer, meaning to improve am i close okay you got it good for you um so as i'm sure everyone knows the talk of the town well Actually, the, the whole world for the past year has been COVID-19. Perhaps the end is near. The role of the vaccine will hopefully ameliorate our situation or, like you said, Denis, make it better. All right. I, uh, I will start embracing the word ameliorate. And for all the uh, French immersion students and the Franco-Ontarians out there, ameliorate. They can work part and parcel. Thanks, Lindsay. Bye. <laughs> Do you want to know how many of these episodes were made possible because of Ward's lawyers? Well, let me just do some calculations here. Okay, five. There. Yep, all of them. Since that very first episode more than a year ago. If you're looking for a lawyer, Carissa and Jason Ward and their team have you covered. Find out what they can do for you at wardlegal.ca. Coming up, I hang out with Ted and Trevor Hill, the father and son team that would be the envy of any modern-day treasure hunter. Well, more like trinket hunter. But skilled seekers and finders just the same, also known as geocachers. We're now at the corner of... Uh of the two rural roads and mm -hmm. uh ted i can see that you already have something there that's a gps unit thing there's a compass at the top yeah and you'll see that it's uh i think it says 462 meters or something like that the whole concept of geocaching uh, to a person like me i just see it as uh treasure hunting is that fair or? yeah it's a high-tech treasure hunt i heard about it years ago in a science magazine and didn't think much of it at the time. And uh, in around 2016, I guess it was, Trevor uh, t 
took an interest in it and uh, brought me along. We went to a geocaching breakfast. A bunch of geocachers get together and they have a, a breakfast. It was it was monthly until this started. There's a geocache on the space station. Uh, oh, geocaching. Well, I've heard of that. That actually seems seems pretty interesting. Two ways of doing it. You can either look at it from your computer and start putting uh, files on a GPS, or you can just pop open your phone and just go to dots on a map. I bought a used GPS receiver for my truck, and uh, I bought it from a geocacher. And now as I'm driving around, it starts making weird noises every time I get near a geocache. What are you feeling right now as you're trying to find that little cache, that little treasure trove? What's, what's going through your mind? What are you feeling? Well, for me, I, I like it just because it's, it's fun to find things. Uh, That's kind the, of a facile way of putting it, but it's pretty succinct, isn't it? It's yeah. just fun to find things. And I don't really care much with what's in a cache, what the cache consists of. I just like going out and finding things. And ones that are too easy, I don't find to be that fun. Uh, I like a bit of a challenge to it. It's kind of interesting because you come up to an area and you're looking and you're thinking, okay, maybe there, maybe there, maybe there. And then you look at your GPS and it's behind you. And you're thinking, oh, okay, I'll turn myself around. Maybe there, maybe there, maybe. It's kind of interesting looking at all the different hiding spots and thinking, oh, you know, any of these can be good. And just kind of formulating ideas in your mind. I think the main thing that gets me out is kind of... I'm, I'm, I'm a completionist, so I like seeing, I like looking at a map of Lindsay and seeing just a whole slew of yellow smiley faces where I found all the caches. Okay, not to be the fatalist, but what's it like when you don't find something, Ted? It's a little disappointing. Uh, as you get more experienced at it, you start to, to realize where people hide things. On the uh, web page for it, it tells you the type of container this time of year. We'd look for ones that are micro, and the quintessential micro is a, a film canister. The, uh, the bigger containers are harder to find this time of year because they have to be on the ground. A micro is going to be up in a tree, so it's not underneath the snow, so it'll be a little easier to find, even though it's smaller. I'm going to guess the geocache will be somewhere accessible. You'll scoop it up, but how far will you go to actually retrieve one? <laughs> uh. How far have you gone, Trevor? <laughs> I've been 30 feet up a tree before. I've been up trees that probably can't actually hold me. I've been knee deep in water. It's been cold. I've been stomach deep in water for Pete's sake. Why? Because the reward isn't any financial gain. All part of the adventure, really. Like you kind of, you know, you're, you're, you like getting out and adventuring. So if there happens to be a geocache and you get an adventure out of it, bonus. How much of a distraction is it for you right now from everything? Uh, it's pretty good for a distraction. Uh, I know for like when this all just started up, it was it was really nice to just kind of go out in the middle of nowhere, find a tube, and then come back home. Just absolutely uh, did wonders for just getting me through everything, especially with the school going all online to start off. Okay, let's go find a cache. I want to see if I can experience this, share in this euphoria. So how far are we here now, guys, based on your uh, your little computer machine? 70 meters, 23, 22. The needle's starting to swing, so we're it's off to our right. 
Ted, are you okay making yourself through the snow there? Because it's not, uh, well, I just it's don't not an easy walk. I don't want to hit water. Okay. This is the point where I would get frustrated, trudging through waist-deep snow. What keeps you from not being frustrated, Trevor? It's all part of the fun. <laughs> the amount of times I've, I've face-planted going out of, the, out of the truck into a ditch is much too high to count. <laughs> I've ended up butt first, back first, stomach first, you name it, I've been in snow. I'm touching it here. Okay, so it's just like a little container. It looks like a film container. It's zip tied to the nub of a branch. What's this moment like for you, Trevor, when you're unwrapping this thumbnail-like container that really, uh, you know, it seems insignificant maybe to, to the average person? That's, it's interesting. You know, you get to see who's been there before you. So you kind of look at the names on the log sheet and you see, oh yeah, yeah. Recognize that one, recognize that one. It's kind of interesting, you know, sometimes you're following people around to caches and sometimes you're being followed to caches. <laughs> when you start out geocaching, you're looking at dots on the map, you're like, okay, cool, well, cool, you know, there's a thing in this tree, let's go find it. And you don't really think about, oh, well, someone actually took time out of their day to, uh, to hide this. And when you go to a breakfast, you kind of, you know, start introducing themselves, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so, you know, I'm Trevor, I'm Sharp Eye 468. Ah, Sharp Eye, you know, I recognize that name from Log Sheets. Sharp from... Eye? That's me, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I recognize that name from Log Sheets or from caches that you've had. And you're like, okay, yeah, there we go. And that's the community feel to it to start off. Everyone's a username. What has geocaching meant to the two of you together? Oh, I think we're closer because of it. We spend quite a bit of time together when we're when we're geocaching. With with distance to drive between caches, there's also the time to connect and kind of get to know each other a bit better. Just have a chat about how life's going, and it's kind of it's something you don't really get to experience in a general sense sometimes. Where oh, really? like especially in times like this, where you know it's it's the face to face interaction that you you crave and you value so much, but sometimes you just don't get that. And with geocaching, especially for me. Uh, the end goal it just provides something nice like it provides something different every time so you're getting the conversation and you're also getting something new out of the experience as well hi there i'm ted hill i'm from Lindsay. hi i'm trevor hill and you're listening to the advocate podcast stories from coworth lakes in episode 15 of the advocate podcast lawyer jason ward sat down with us to discuss a topic that many of us think we have a handle on, but really, we don't. In fact, many of us, as employees at one point in our lives, have probably even threatened it. Indeed, wrongful dismissal is woefully misunderstood. When and how it can be enforced, and even if there is a legitimate case, which is why, in this episode, there's still a need for more... Wards of wisdom. More than just words of wisdom... It's wards of wisdom. In part two of our conversation with lawyer Jason Ward about wrongful dismissal, Jason sheds a lot of light on how the human element plays out for the employer, the employee, and the judge in a dispute. He begins by answering this question. How often can an employer legally fire someone with cause? I'm fairly forthright with people about whether I think there's cause or not. I'll be honest with you, probably less than 10% of the cases have cause. Uh, it's a very high threshold in Ontario to establish cause to terminate. Sympathies lie with employees in courtrooms. Uh, that's still the case. 
Judges are still sympathetic to employees over employers, generally speaking. Um, so if there's any interpretation, any ambiguity, any um, facts that haven't been proven, generally the court will side in favor of the employee uh, in terms of what is the truth, what really happened here, uh, if, if, if things just can't be proven. So you've always got to be mindful of that, that there is still inherently a sympathetic or an empathetic ear of, of a judge to an employee who's been terminated, particularly somebody who's been terminated after a couple of decades with financial obligations at home, who was abruptly let go. Let me, let me say it this way. Of all the employer clients that I have, and they all bring cause cases to me, they all bring cases to me that say, here's my evidence. I've done these meetings. I've done this progressive discipline. They filled out these forms acknowledging their mistakes. Fewer than 10% of the cases do I advise the client at that early stage, oh, you've got a clear case of cause, fire them with no severance. Very few cases do I give that advice. It does exist. And if proper progressive discipline techniques have been adopted by the employer, I may give the opinion that we've, we've satisfied the cause obligation, but very few cases do I do that. So the lesson there is employers really have to make sure they've checked off all those boxes. You want to fire for cause, you have to go through a specific progressive discipline process that will uphold and withstand scrutiny by a judge who's going to be sympathetic to the employee at the end of the day. Well, you mentioned that earlier on too about how, how the judge can sway uh, his or her decision. Um, how much control do they have in that? I'm just thinking when you're preparing that case, and I'm sure you're thinking, okay, we might get this judge, especially in Court of the Lakes where there's a limited number of judges. Yeah. How much sway can that judge have in, uh, in the arbitration? Well, the in law is fairness. At the end of the day, the law is just, justness and fairness. So sometimes judges know what they want to do, know what they think the fair outcome is, and will meander and find a way to get there depending on what the evidence is. And every judge will find a different way to meander, won't they? Yeah, judges are humans, right? They, they perceive and they formulate in their mind what's a fair and just outcome to this case. Was there cause, was there not? What's a reasonable severance? Every case is different. Every case you look at individual factors about how much compensation somebody should get for being wrongfully terminated. Um, but judges, at the end of the day, try to come up with a fair and just outcome. And if there's no cause, then the exercise becomes one of mathematics. How much pay in lieu of notice should this person be awarded based on all these myriad of factors? In your experience, Jason, um, we're in a small community. This is where you grew up. We are all connected one way or, or another, a couple of de degrees of separation. As you mentioned, you have clients who are employers and some of them who are employees. In your experience, what impact can winning a case for the employee have on future employment for that individual? It's irrelevant. A, it doesn't happen in the community. Uh, while our community is not large, it's not small enough that that, types of, that type of arrangement ripples around and causes people prejudice on finding new positions. I don't see it in this community, except for the rare exceptions. Very industry specific. If you're moving from one business to another because they're the only two businesses in town who may do this type of business, maybe then you might have an issue if, you're, if the former business fired you for an allegation of cause. That may impact you. But by the time wrongful termination lawsuits are over, which is two to three years on average, people are working long in advance of that at other positions. Uh, and so usually it's never an issue. And we forget. And we forget. You know, and most people, as distressing and shocking and upsetting as it is to be wrongful terminated, 95% of the cases, two years down the road, people reflect on it and go, that was probably the best thing to have happened to me. I mean, statistically, 80% of these cases settle without court. Very, uh, you know, some cases go to court, and I do go to court on wrongful terminations, but uh, often the cases settle after negotiations. 
So it's, it's not that common that a wrongful termination case escalates to the point of the Superior Court of Justice. It does. And I've got a number of cases on the go in court about wrongful termination. But I also settle greater than 50% of the cases before litigation becomes necessary. Um, and that's in everyone's interest. By the time you factor in the legal expenses, the time, the stress, the anxiety of a wrongful termination case, nobody wins. So you're really pushing the employer and the employee to sit down settlement, at a table like this and work it out. Settlement before litigation is generally in the interest of both parties to the dispute. The Advocate Podcast is 100% local media, just like our parent, the online news source, lindsayadvocate.ca, as well as our monthly magazine, The Lindsay Advocate, available at Boiling Over Coffee Vault and branches of Kawartha Lakes Library. In this month's issue of the magazine, we celebrate women in leadership roles in Kawartha Lakes. Some great feature stories on this topic, but also some great photos taken by our magazine's official photographer, Sienna Frost, who also owns and operates Frost Quality Photos. Uh, Sienna, the little that I know about photography is, well, you're not just pointing and clicking. So how did you capture these women in this issue, what they represent, what they embody? Well, especially with these shots, I tried to uh, take a few minutes, of course. I think I do that all the time just to get a feel for um, some characteristics of the individual that I'm shooting, what exactly they're being featured for, for the photograph, of course. And then I like to ask them like where they feel comfortable, depending where we're asked to meet. Um, for example, the cover shot there, um, that woman was nice enough to take me across the road and show me a nice volunteer skating rink there. And so we had a nice good 10 or 15 minute chat as we worked through the photos. And I find it's towards the end of that, that 15 minutes that I will get the shot that kind of really captures the eye because then I've had a chance to connect with them and feel where the shot is going to be used in the magazine. It's interesting you mentioned that photo of Val May Barkey because uh, yeah, having read the, the article that included her, I got the sense that she was this, you know, this very kind, warm woman. And, and that was kind of captured in in her face. But I didn't see any of that stuff in the background that you described, the the skating rink and so on. So how does that, even though that, that those elements are not in the shot, how does that translate in how they present themselves and how you capture that? I think because she was so passionate about that skating rink, which was right close to her in her community, right just so close to her, we were able to walk across the street to see it there. Um, and then she just gave me even a few minutes of speaking about that skating rink there. And you could see it kind of lightened up her eyes, it lightened up her smile. You, she had, you could sense how passionate she was about that place. And that I feel made a big part of the difference in the shot. As a woman, Sienna, who, you know, you run your own successful business. What was this whole experience for you like personally? So this, this is actually one of my favorite times. I was able to do this last year for The Advocate as well. And um, it's really nice to get out in the community and meet people most of the time. And there was a few people I had met before. But um, it's so nice to get out there and just meet other, it's it, confidence building for sure to meet other women out there that are doing well and striving for greatness in our community because I think ultimately that's what we're all trying to do, so.
You're listening to episode 27 of the Advocate Podcast, stories from Corth Lakes, which you're totally enjoying, right? Largely because you're able to stream and or download it for free on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Now, if you want to know why you're able to download and stream it for free, it is thanks to our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay. Jason and Carissa Ward and their team offer a wide range of legal services. Learn more at wardlegal.ca. Okay, we listened. Our audience feedback tells us you especially enjoy our music features. Well, me too. And you know who else does? Carol and Jim Young of Lindsay. Well, they're going to be fans of this particular music feature, at least, because it includes a chat with their son and stepson, Trevor Sinclair, who makes his home in Yellowknife. Trevor is part of a new musical trio called The Houseman, a band that unapologetically proudly actually, is made up of stay-at-home dads. And their music reflects that, as well as their affinity for rural life. Now keep in mind, Yellowknife is about the same size as Lindsay proper. I spoke to Trevor, who was at home with his two sons in Yellowknife. I grew up in my little town. I had a full pack of ideas all around me. Oh yeah. Black and yellow, a cooey bike I could ride myself around town if I'd like All three of you are very upfront, you know, about being stay-at-home dads. Tell me about that decision to make that so front and center. <laughs> it's because it's how we met. Uh, so we adopted a couple of boys. They're here with us, and we had uh, stay-at-home dad lunches about once every couple of weeks. All the stay-at-home dads that we knew would gather together and literally just have burgers and beer and hang out with our kids. And I was hosting one of these events. Uh, so there was nine dads here with 11 kids hanging at the house one afternoon. And this is where we met Jeff Slano, uh, who's our singer songwriter for our band. Um, and he's sort of like the, the, the kingpin of stay at home dads. He's, he's a dad of seven children. He's been a stay at home dad for 20 years. And he sees that I have this old dusty uh, uh, electronic drum kit sitting there. We started chatting about, oh, oh yeah, I sort of drum a bit. And then uh, a good friend of mine, Alan Yeoman, who's our bass player, he's like, well, I, I, you know, I play bass. And Jeff happens to mention, well, I, you know, we should jam. And we're like, well, how about right now? I could hold in New Zealand, and yet I was feeling so I gotta know about that first jam session, given that you didn't even know you were musicians. What did it sound like, in all honesty, that first yeah, jam session? Yeah, uh, actually it was great, because Jeff Jeff had been playing for some time over his, his life. He's never had any sort of formal training, uh, but he could easily, you know, he knows his song is his own material. We're not trying to play something else that somebody else created, which made it easy uh, for myself as a fairly rookie drummer to pick a, any simple beat to go along with it. And we could play along and it, it would it sounded half decent actually in fact that first jam i didn't even use the electronic kit i remember i pulled out a djembe and i was just sort of drumming out a beat on the djembe and on a what? other Sorry? people had djembe what's a djembe uh, 
djembe, the, uh, the, uh, an African style drum. Uh, usually it's a, a nice wood with a, like a goat skin often. From there, we realized, he says, oh, geez, you know, I got a few other songs. We're like, what? You have more original material? Well, let's do this again. So we stepped away from the, the stay-at-home dad's lunch, and then just the three of us got together. And from there, it was born. They're breaking and they're taking and they're losing all my things. They're fighting and they're biting and they're making my ears ring. But gotta stay cool, gotta fit the family roll. The hook is the fact that we are stay-at-home dads, and it is kind of fun. And we realized that as we started looking around at other bands out there, nobody else was marketing themselves as such. And uh, there's there's stay-at-home dad groups. Like if you go onto Facebook, the tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of members. So there's there's a huge community out there, and nobody was marketing specifically to or for them. Some of the songs, uh, for example, with this our EP coming out, one of the songs on it is called Truckin' Kids. And uh, I, I probably shouldn't admit this in any sort of recorded fashion, but I shall. It originally started as being called I Never <laughs> I can see why that's been changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we realized, okay, that's not going to fly. So it became Truckin' Kids. And, and so that song is very much about you know, family and, and the things that our kids do to drive us insane. It's it's a ton of fun. it's a fun song to drum. In fact, actually, any of the swearing obviously had fully been removed. And the closest we come is at about the two third mark. Uh, the song slows right down, and the lyrics are something like he's just singing about uh, you know he walks by his do- the bedroom door and he sees his little sweetie sitting there and he leans in and give him a kiss, and then his son opens up his eyes and says, "I truck and love you too, Daddy." <laughs> I went through the door to gaze upon the cutie. Looking like an angel, I leaned and kissed his cheek. He opened up his eyes. I truck and love you too, Daddy. Well, I, I guess I might swear to my kids. Well, I tell the world is wrong. And I get to live. I guess I might swear to my kids. But the other things focus maybe on things, what it is to be a dad and things that we like to do. Uh, so Jeff likes to ride a snowmobile. So we have one of the songs in the EPs called Ride My Sled. So it's all about bombing around on your snowmobile. So it has nothing to do with family, but things that we enjoy. So it's easy to identify it as part of that stay-at-home dad or being a dad piece. But at the same time, we think it speaks to a wider market of people that just love to drive a snowmobile. You don't have to be a dad for that. Oh, I'm riding this out, waiting my turn, waiting for my shift to end. Oh, I can feel it again Filling her up Take a little juice Rolling out of town I remember when I was a, a stay-at-home dad uh, and, and all the, those frustrations and those joys. And I've often said that if any parent says their kids are perfect, they're either oblivious or they're lying or both. So, <laughs> so how? Uh, tell me about what, what that was like to, to, to play with these other two musicians who are like-minded, who are going through what you were going through as a dad. Tell me about that catharsis of, of writing and performing material in those songs. It was, it was awesome. It was a ton of fun. Um, because when we would practice, uh, particularly Jeff and Alan still had kids that were at home. Both of mine were in school, or actually when we started, the one was in a, in a daycare uh, for shorter parts of the day. Um, but uh, often then it meant when we jammed, the kids were right there. And so they're playing around our feet and you just learn that, you know, as you're drumming or in my case, as I'm drumming away to also learn how to say, put that down, 
stop hitting your brother. Um, and, <laughs> and you just learn to play with that. And then we took sort of the, the fun we had with that to the stage. We would often kick off our stuff with dad jokes uh, and just get the audience even telling dad jokes. And we would tell funny stories about our kids. And yeah, just lots of joking and hilarity and then move into the song. That was part of the joy of this and what we brought to the stage. So we would joke at home. We have our kids there, you know, yell at our kids, and then, and then we take it to a stage and continue with the joking, continue sharing the stories, and even sharing the stories of us practicing and learning the songs. It was a lot of fun. And so this kept building into that stay-at-home dad identity. On our first single that, or well, really our second single, I guess, that we just released in January, Fake and Colored Lies, um, in that we brought in a great artist, uh, Wesley Hardesty. So he's the one playing fiddle on the song. So he's not part of a regular band, but he's uh, from the Northwest Territories. Uh, and he's an incredible indigenous artist and we brought him into the studio and it took him all of like literally he just sat and listened to the song once and then he sat down and played along with his fiddle it was truly it made me realize uh, what an amateur <laughs> musician I am this guy was unbelievable anyway it just elevated the song to a whole new level and it added that rural feel to it even more a little bit more of a country vibe Town where there's people around, all hiding clicks, a bunch of paper doll dicks with nothing to do but to drive right through with their bimbos by the side and their wallets open wide. Mm -hmm. Oh, nothing but a fake and colored lie. But a day will come when the looks fade away and they'll be left in the dark. It's just like an open grave and the paint job's gone and stereos blow. It happened to you. Hold nothing but a fake and colored lie. Thought it was cool to be acting like a fool, to dress just like the rest, passing written tests, treating people like a dirt, and doesn't matter if it hurts. Hassles are the name, the driving means the same. Mm hmm. Hold nothing. But a fake and colored lie But a day will come When the looks fade away And they'll be left in the dark It's just like an open grave And the paint job's gone And the stereo's blown It happened to you It hold nothing but a fake and colored lie All right If it was up to me and I would find another way And I would find myself another little prairie town If it was up to me And I would toss those boots away And I would throw them in the creek as I left town If it was up to me I would find another way Fake and, and Colored Lies, a song by the houseman with Trevor Sinclair on drums once all of this subsides and bands can tour again, Trevor hopes he and the Houseman 
will make Lindsay one of its stops where he can visit his bum. Until then, purchase their music at thehouseman.ca. Well, this wraps up episode 27 of our program. Why not subscribe to us? So easy and free. And please share, 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 not just this episode, but all of them. Totally free, thanks to Ward's Lawyers, our official sponsors and presenter. For all of your legal needs, contact them via the coolest website ever, wardlegal.ca. Our theme music and bridges are written and performed by Gerald Van Halteren. Check out our previous episode to hear how that all came about a little more than a year ago. It's a really nice behind-the-scenes sneak peek. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes is produced by me, Denny Grignon, a neighbor of yours. Sunny days ahead, neighbors, literally but also figuratively. We've just got to work together to ensure that happens. And I know we got it in us. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>